good morning. Oh, come on, y'all. I'm down here from the Northwest, and they don't say good morning, so I need you to say it back. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. I feel like I'm at home now. It is good to be here this morning at First Baptist Olo. Uh, like Andy mentioned earlier, uh, this church is very dear to me. I was baptized here, spent part of my childhood year, and I'll cry if I talk about Andy. And I mentioned, <laughs> I have this thing about crying when I preach, so we got it out of the way now. I'm very grateful to him, and I won't cry anymore now. So we got that out of the way. Uh, my wife, uh, Kelsey, and I live in Portland, Oregon, and in God's providence, we have a nice Pacific Northwest stormy morning to enjoy on the way to church today, so I feel right at home. I want to start by asking you a question. What was the happiest day of your life? What caused you to overflow with joy and emotion? I think for me personally, I shouted and sang and jumped the most on Saturdays at Ole Miss when I was a student there. In 2014, Sinquez Golson sealed our win over Alabama with an interception in the end zone. And I stormed the field with everybody else and got out of the way of those goalposts. Every emotion I had came out of me when that happened. But those were big emotions, but that wasn't the happiest day of my life. I think the day I married Kelsey stands out as one of the happiest days of my life, or the day when Walker was born and I became a dad. Those days were life-altering and deeply joyful. My emotions weren't catching up to what was happening, but those have had a huge impact. Those experiences all point towards something important about what it means to be a human. We are hardwired deep down for seeking joy. We try to find it through our family and our friends, our work and our achievements, food and pleasure. But the reality is our friends and family can hurt us the most. Our work and achievements, they'll fade with time and they'll be forgotten one day. Food and pleasures just satisfy us for just minutes. Where are you trying to find joy in this life? If you're not a Christian, in a room this size, I'm not assuming everyone here is a believer, I'm really grateful that you're here and I want to speak directly to you for a moment. If you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you in this sermon this morning to think about your life. Are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with how it's going, what you're pursuing? Have you noticed that nothing here really ever scratches that itch for long? What if you turned away from trying to find happiness in this life and trying to, to fill the void with things? What if you turned away from physical answers or inward answers to an external spiritual one? I mean, I'm asking you to consider, what if there was a God who made you and loves you? If you are a Christian, you may already be feeling guilty that I'm talking about joy because you may not feel very joyful today, even though you know Jesus. I want to stir up your heart this morning to respond to God with delight and gratitude because that's what our text for today, Psalm 100, is all about. It's designed to produce those things in us. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 100. This is the classic Thanksgiving Psalm. It lands in a series of Psalms celebrating the reign of the Lord and his wonderful works for his people. It has a simple structure that we're gonna to follow together. It calls God's people to worship and then it gives them reasons to worship. So stanza one verses one and two is that call to worship. Verse three is the reason why. Verse four is another call to worship and then verse five gives us more reasons why. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read the entire psalm. <clears throat> Starting in verse one. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Please be seated. So the big question I'm asking today in our text is what is the joy of the Christian life? What is the joy of the Christian life? And this psalm gives us two answers. The first one is belonging to God, and the second is delighting in who God is. So if you're taking notes, this will help you. Belonging to God, that's verses one through three, and then delighting in who God is, that's verses four and five. I wanna convince you this morning that those who belong to God delight in him. Those who are truly his delight in who he is. Also, if you're in the room and and you're under age 12, let's say, I'll give you a homework assignment to help you focus. If you take your parents' Bible or your own and you circle all the verbs in the psalm, I'll give you a dollar after the service is over. I only have a few, so the first three or four can have one. So if you circle all the verbs, underline the modifiers, come see me after. It's going to help you follow along. So first, belonging to God. In verses one through three, there are four commands, so circle them. Did you notice them? It's, it's make a noise, serve, come into his presence with singing, know that the Lord, he is God. Those are the, the commands and notice the modifiers. It's, it's with gladness. It's entering, entering his presence with singing. Even the command in verse three to know that the Lord is God, it's translated with an exclamation point. So shouting, serving, singing, and knowing gives us a vivid picture of joyful glad worship. It includes what our our hearts and our minds, what we feel and what we know, what we do and what we say. It, It calls for everything we have to respond to God. God wants his people drawing near to him with joy in his presence. Is this how you normally think of the Christian life? Is this normally what you think of knowing God is like, is is joy? Some of you may be wondering about this, and I want to help you. God isn't looming over us in heaven, brooding on his throne like some cosmic Puritan, worried that someone somewhere is having a good time. That's not what God is like. We we intuitively end up thinking that holiness and happiness are just opposites, and it's not true. Look at the psalm. Look at all those verbs. God wants us to respond with joy and delight in his presence. Knowing God was supposed to be the fountain of endless human joy. And in this psalm, God's people are singing to one another, trying to stir each other up to respond to God with that gladness. And so my question is, if I asked your family or your friends or your coworkers, people that know you the best, if I asked them, would they describe you as a joyful, happy person? Would they say that you are somebody who they interact with and they can tell there's something about you that is deeply happy? Christians of all people should be known as joyful, hopeful, deeply happy people. Our attitude reflects something about who God is to those around us. What we say and what we do, how we act, it all is telling the world that knows you something about your God. Now, don't get me wrong. I live in the same world that you do. 
There is war in Europe and the Middle East, diseases and tragedies and injustices and death. They ravage our world. I mean, don't forget, I live in Portland, Oregon, for crying out loud. It's right in my front yard, a lot of these things. The emphasis of joy in the psalm is not tone deaf to this broken world that we live in. God's people should be rightfully sorrowful, yet seriously, always rejoicing. We should lament the brokenness we see in prayer to our Father. But even in this world, we are the people of the good news. We are the people of the resurrection, and that should affect the way we live and the way we think and the way we act. We are the people who have real bright light in this dark world. And Psalm 100 is calling us, reminding us that we should respond to God with joy because drawing near to him is the spark of joy. As you get closer to the source of light, you get brighter too. And, and God calls for joy in his presence because he is the perfect God, the one who made everything. What has being a Christian produced in you? Your demeanor, your words, what has being a Christian, what has knowing Jesus done to the way you feel and the way you think? Why should God's people be glad, even in this world? Look at verse three again. Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. This is what stands out in Psalm 100. Four times the idea is repeated, we are his. It's like every command has that underlining it. You should come into his presence with singing because we're his. You should serve him with gladness because you're his. You should draw near to him and shout joyfully because you're his. Psalm 100 doesn't apply to us based on our circumstances. Joy isn't about where you are or what you have. Joy is about whose you are. Joy is about whose you are and God's people are filled with joy because they belong to him. Now all of us as creatures belong to God. He, he made us so we are accountable to him. He rightfully has claims on all of our lives, Christian or not. Have you recognized this? Has your life been impacted by this, that, that you belong to him as his creature? When we reject God to define truth, or to seek pleasure, or to find meaning for ourselves. We don't just reject God and spit in his face, but we cut ourselves off from the only one who can satisfy us. This is what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were sold a lie that there was meaning and purpose and happiness outside of what God had said, and they took the bait, and they were exiled from God's presence. And in each of our lives, all of us have, have walked through those same steps, committing the same sin. We have rebelled against the creator. We've exchanged him for created things that are lesser. And it's exiled us from God's presence. This psalm is all about joy and drawing near to God, but in our sin, we can't do that. We can't enter his gates or serve him gladly. We can't claim to be one of his people because in our sin, we have cut ourselves off from him. That's the tension in verse three. That's the tension. All humans belong to God as his creatures, but not all people belong to him as his special people. Not all of us have bowed the knee, as it were. We are rebels. We all have decided to live like we're our own gods. But verse three points beyond creation to Mount Sinai. So this points beyond God as the creator to that moment where God chooses Israel 
where God calls them out as his special people who can know him in a unique way. Through the Mosaic Covenant, God made a way for his people to dwell with him again, to enter his presence again. And this psalm is celebrating how the people of Israel could draw near with great joy at the temple. But the problem is you and I, we Gentiles, we can't claim this. We can't enter God's presence. We can't engage God through that covenant. And even if we could, like Israel, we would break it and we would be exiled all over again. Look at verse three again. God is not just the creator, he's the shepherd. That's the implication there that we're the sheep of his pasture. He's the shepherd. Early in the service, we heard from Ezekiel 34, and in that text, God condemns the leaders of Israel for leading the people into ruin. And God promised that he would be the shepherd of the flock. He would rescue his people. And that text goes on to say that he's gonna set his servant David over his people. So how can God and his servant David both be the shepherd of Israel? Well, in John 10, 11 through 16, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, he is the good shepherd who redeems his people by laying down his life for them on the cross. The blood of bulls and goats never could satisfy for sin. It never could cleanse anyone. And if you're not a Christian, this is the gospel you need to believe. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't counterbalance the scales of what you've done wrong. You can't overcome an infinite debt. We can't. But Christ can pay the debt. The good shepherd laying down his life for you can pay the debt that you owe. And if you're a Christian, this is what you can never get tired of. This is what you should never forget. The good shepherd laid down his life for you so that you could enter God's presence and have eternal joy. We can't claim the psalm is ours apart from the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, but he can bring us into the fold. He can call us as one of the sheep of his pasture. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our maker can become our redeemer. And more than that, we can now know him as our good shepherd. So if, if we turn away from our sin, if we turn away from worshiping ourselves, for preferring anything over God, that's what repentance means. If we turn away from all of that and we turn to God and we confess that he is the true God over heaven and earth and his son is the only way to be saved. If we confess that and we turn to him, we can be reconciled to God. We can have entrance into God's presence. We can belong to God again through the gospel. We can enter the presence of the Father through his Son, and we can be remade and made new and born again, and we can be welcome in his presence. And we have an even greater joy than they had in Psalm 100 because for Israel, only one person can enter the Holy of Holies once a year. Only the high priest could go before God. But As Christians, because of Jesus, we all can enter God's presence. The Holy Spirit has come and filled each of us and we all are that new temple where God's presence is dwelling with us. The Spirit has indwelt us as his people. And so what the Mosaic Covenant just looked forward to, what it foreshadowed, what people longed for, we get to experience that as Christians. So this this command to worship God in Psalm 100, the gospel doesn't take a black Sharpie and just mark that out of your Bible. 
The gospel doesn't cancel out the commands of scripture. It's more like a yellow highlighter and it makes them brighter. We can obey because of the gospel. We can live a new life because we've been made new. All the more we should be people who rejoice in God's presence. With the Spirit's help, we can serve the Lord with gladness. We can come into his presence with singing. Brothers and sisters, we should worship the Lord with joy because we're his. You're his. You belong to him through Christ. That's why we should shout and sing and serve. The transcendent creator, the righteous judge, the Lord of history is now your father. You can relate to him as his child. The joy of the Christian life is being his. The joy of the Christian life is being his. So I don't know what keeps you in your heart and mind from embracing the joy of the psalm. I don't know what's getting in the way, but it's not beyond the love and the care of our good shepherd. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's kept you from responding to God like you should, but the good shepherd can take care of it. You belong to him and that changes everything. He will guide us. He will be with us. He will, he will go with us. That song, Grace Thy Faithfulness, we were singing about that together, that in his faithfulness, he's promised to be with us. That's what our good shepherd does. So he's gonna bring us to heaven. Nothing's gonna get in the way of that. And in the meantime, we don't have to wait until we get there. In the meantime, he's making us new. He's shaping us to be more and more like him along the way. So this idea of belonging to God can be a little bit abstract and there's an everyday illustration that will help us. Belonging to Christ is like being in a marriage. So a husband and a wife belong to each other in a unique way. It's not like being the member of a club or an organization. It's not like being an employee of, uh, at a company. No, belonging to God is like being in a marriage. So when I was in college, I went on a road trip with Andy Baker to New Mexico. And if you've never done it, driving across Texas is absolutely miserable. It is maybe the worst place you could drive. And we were driving to New Mexico for him to do the wedding for one of our friends. And one of the funniest things on the trip was the further Andy got away from Elizabeth, the weirder he got. <laughs> it was a joke throughout the trip how antsy he was and out of sorts. He wasn't himself. It's because they belonged to each other and he was away from her. And, and that's what it's like being married and that's what's like belonging to God. I think that's a vivid picture of what we're talking about. So when my friends started getting married, I noticed they couldn't make decisions the same way anymore. Like I had friends that got married before I did and all of a sudden it's like this big negotiation before we could just go have lunch. And I made fun of it, I struggled with it and then I got married and I found out. <laughs> and and the, actually what I found out was not that it's, it's a burden but it's actually a joy that anything connected to me is connected to my wife Kelsey. It's not a chore that any decision I make now is not just me as an individual, but it's me and my wife. It's, it's no longer me on my own making decisions. And so as Christians belonging to God, it's like being in a marriage. Nothing in your life is untouched by knowing Jesus, nothing. And that includes the way you feel, that includes what you do, but nothing is left out when you know him, just like in a marriage. The Bible talks to us being united to Christ. And if that's true, we're not ourselves when we're away from him. And he's a faithful husband. He's devoted to us. He's done everything it takes to provide for us. 
We belong to Christ, so everything in our life is changed. We belong to him in an ultimate way. Before you belong to anyone or anything else, you belong to Christ if you're a Christian. And those who belong to him, they delight in drawing near to him. We didn't have to twist Andy's arm to say, let's get in the car and go back. New Mexico is terrible. He, he wanted to go. We were trying to make sure he was there to do the wedding. He wanted to get back to Elizabeth so bad. The closer we got to Olo, the more normal Andy became. It's because he belongs to Elizabeth. So according to Psalm 100, we can enter God's presence with joy because we belong to him through Christ. I hope this gets stuck in your head for weeks. That this is all you remember from the sermon. If you are a Christian, you belong to him and that changes everything. Joy in God's presence is the fruit of belonging to Christ. And our worship grows from that reality and nothing else. This is who you really are now. I don't know how you think about your identity or who you are. It's not first about what you do for a living or who you're married to or where you live. First, foremost, A to Z, you belong to Jesus. That's who you really are now. That's who you truly are. And that is the joy of the Christian life. But second, the joy of the Christian life is delighting in who God is. So second, delighting in who God is. Let's read verses four and five again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So in verse four, we have more commands about this worship, but now it's thankful, glad worship. And in verse five, we get the reason again. So the reason is the Lord is good and his steadfast love, his covenant love endures forever. We should thank God and bless his name because of who he is. And in verse five, we have the special covenant language of that steadfast love. This is God's deep commitment to preserve his promise to his people. Goodness isn't something God has. Like goodness isn't like his car or like something he possesses. Goodness is what he is. Fundamentally, it's essentially what he is. And in that goodness, he has given himself to his people. In that goodness, he has given them his love. He's actually bound his reputation to keeping his promises to his people. It's amazing that we belong to God, but if verse five is true, he belongs to us. It's like a marriage. We don't just belong to him, but he belongs to you and me. The greatest reward of Christianity is God himself. It's him. And just to be clear, in case you've misunderstood me, I have not been saying, come to Jesus and you can be happy. Come to Jesus and you can have the life you've always wanted. Come to Jesus and you can have meaning or purpose. Don't come to Jesus for any of those things. Those are blessings of the gospel, but they are not the point. Don't come to Jesus to get something else. You come to Jesus to get God. He is the reward. He is the blessing. He is the pleasure. He's what you're saved for. It's not just getting out of jail free. It's not just you know, letting those things go in your past. You get God himself. He belongs to you and you get to know him. That's what Christianity is really about. It's not come to Jesus and you can have what you've always wanted, which isn't him. No, you come to Jesus and he gives you new desires for him. 
Those who belong to him delight in him. And in this stanza, we're stirred up to obey the call to worship with thanksgiving because the Lord has made us his own through his sheer goodness. He's done it all. We bless the Lord because he's good. We give thanks to the Lord because his faithfulness endures forever. Our worship flows from remembering who he is and remembering what he's done. We worship because of who he is. Did you notice in this psalm how drawing near to God, it's always together. It's always plural. It's always God's people. So verses two and four are commanding the people to sing and give thanks, but they're also, they're singing to one another at the temple in the psalm. And in verse three, it's not I am his, I individually am his, it's we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. Now we express this as Christians when we gather with a local church weekly. We need the weekly rhythm of the Sunday gathering to reorient us and remind us that we're really his and to remind us of who he really is. We need to hear the preaching of God's word because this is one of the main ways that he feeds us as the sheep of his flock. We need other Christians in our lives who know us well enough that they notice when we're on a road trip heading the other way from Jesus. We need people who know us well enough to to recognize you're not delighting in, in, in him anymore. Something's different, something's wrong. Obeying the plural commands of scripture, like here in this Psalm or all over the New Testament, you can't do that as a Christian at home in front of the TV. And I know some of us in God's providence are not able to gather every week. Some of us through illness can't do that. I'm not trying to shame that person who physically can't gather. But for those of us who can, don't ever take this for granted. I mean, in Portland, we kind of lived in the pandemic longer than you did, but this is what I missed the most. We, We couldn't meet as the whole church for so long. Don't take it for granted. So to take it a step further, let's think about specifically singing in verses two and four. Why do Christians sing when we gather together? Other than going to a concert or some sporting events, adults really don't gather together and sing very often. I guess sometimes at Christmas, but that's not normal. Last month, I um, met a visitor at our church, and he wasn't a Christian, and I asked him what he thought about the service, and I thought he was going to mention something from the sermon or a prayer, but he was really shocked that when he got there, that we sang for almost 20 minutes. He was surprised that we would get together and just sing for so long, but this makes perfect sense. Throughout the Bible, God's people respond to his majestic works with singing, After they cross the Red Sea, they sing a song in Exodus 15. As the ark entered Jerusalem, David led the way singing and dancing before the Lord and the people. Mary herself, when she's bearing Jesus in her womb, carrying him, she rejoices in song at the beginning of Luke's gospel when she meets with Elizabeth. And when you get to Revelation, you see the scenes of heaven. You see the saints there gathered. What are they doing? They're singing to the lamb who was slain. God's people praise him for what he's done and they adore him for who he is. And it's especially fitting that we do this through song. We express our gratitude and our delight as we gather together by singing. And I wanna just press this a little bit further. This isn't only if you're a trained singer. This isn't just for Christians who know what they're doing. If you're on the worship team, this is everybody in the room. We're commanded to sing our delight to God. 
The Father has redeemed you through the Son. It's not a burden to sing to him. He's given you a spirit, and if you are his, you have him. How can you not sing over that? How can you not rejoice over that? And it doesn't matter if you like the songs or not, if they're familiar or not, we sing the truth to one another. And, and the reality is, you know, God doesn't need anything from us. It's so basic, I don't wanna miss it. Like God doesn't really need our money. God doesn't grow tired or hungry. And if he were hungry, he wouldn't ask us to feed him. He doesn't need us to supply any need in him. He is perfect in every way. So why does he want our singing? God isn't feeling low self-esteem in heaven, wondering if we like him. No, he wants our singing because he wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart. And that's a huge difference. He doesn't need you. He wants you. That's a huge difference. He made us for this. This is why he redeemed us so that as his people, we could gather to him and worship him because that's the greatest delight we can know. Brother or sister, if you have a hard time singing here in church, I don't wanna put a heavy weight on you that you can't bear. I just wanna remind you, it doesn't matter what you sound like. That's not the point. It doesn't matter if you know what you're doing or if you know the song that well. We sing because of what we believe. We sing because of what God has done. And on the Sundays when it's really hard to sing, when something in your life is, is so difficult and so weighty, you don't feel the joy. You don't wanna express that. That's when you need to hear everybody else singing the worst. That's when I need to hear other Christians singing God's character and promises back to me. Friends, don't overlook the, the beautiful gift that singing is in our churches. Don't overlook the role that it, that it plays here. And I know that this church is, is implementing a plurality of elders and recognizing men who God will set aside to lead you. Brothers, if you're not gonna sing, you're not fit to lead. If you're not gonna worship him in song, you're missing out on one of the main ways we teach one another in this church. Don't miss out on the joy of singing. Don't miss out on the teaching opportunity that singing is. Because outsiders recognize it. They think it's strange. They may not listen to a 40-minute sermon well, but this song will get stuck in their head. Don't miss out on singing. You know, we don't have a problem with this when our team scores a touchdown. We just overflow with praise. Like we storm the field when that happens. When, when your grandchild walks, no one has to tell you, hey, you should smile and, and clap for them. That's not how it works. When you take a bite of a good, medium, rare ribeye, or you find the best new burger in town, oh, I'm never telling anyone about this. That's not how it works. On Thanksgiving, when you smelled that the food was almost done, or you ate your first plate, no one had to say, hey, you should go get seconds. That doesn't make any sense. When we enjoy something, we have no problem overflowing in that delight or telling someone else about it. This is what we do when we enjoy something. It's how we're wired. Friends, those are all microscopic pictures of joy compared to God. They're all just small, tiny little reminders that knowing God is way better and it's way greater than this good stake you just had or this football team that won this year and is probably gonna lose next year. We, we, we praise what we enjoy. It completes the enjoyment. And if you're a Christian, you have the infinite goodness of God. You have the greatest pleasure a human could ever know. And I know that we, you know, we struggled day to day. We only know this in part, 
but that's, that joy is gonna grow deeper and deeper the closer you get to heaven. So when, in the meantime, gathering here this people, singing, thanking him, serving together, this is all a light burden if you really belong to him. The joy of Christianity is not living for yourself on your own terms. That's not Christianity at all. The beauty is belonging to God and delighting in him with his people. His love and faithfulness endure forever, and that gives us endless reasons to sing. I mean, look at verse five again. Do you know the reason to sing? Look at verse five. The Lord is good, and his steadfast love and faithfulness never cease. His love for you is as deep and strong as it was as the first day you believed. His love for you doesn't ebb and flow the way our love does for him. His faithfulness is eternal and everlasting. It goes into eternity past and into eternity future. Our sin and our unfaithfulness is like a drop in the bucket compared to an ocean of God's love and faithfulness. You can't out his grace. You need a reason to sing? His love endures forever. You need a reason to sing? His faithfulness will never let you go. Never. Our, our affections need to be pulled back in line to that reality. Every other pleasure we know is finite. So that makes it so hard to understand this. But anything good you've ever enjoyed is supposed to just be another tiny part of, of this puzzle showing you what it means to know and enjoy God. Those who belong to God delight in him and that joy just gets better when we gather together as his people. This psalm is trying to stir us up and I, and I wanna, before we conclude, just think about thankfulness because that's so clear in verse four that we should be thankful. And it's Thanksgiving week, so this is the perfect time to talk about it. So many Psalms repeat the refrain that we should give thanks to God for his love and his faithfulness. Being his sparks joy and it sparks gratitude. It's delight and thankfulness. So why is Thanksgiving this fitting response to God? C.S. Lewis observed that praise completes or fulfills our enjoyment of God. And I think that our thankfulness does something similar. Thankfulness goes hand in hand with our delight in God. So if we really know God, we really enjoy him, we're gonna praise him. That's what we do. And a thankful heart understands that all of this is a gift. A thankful Christian understands that their salvation is a gift. They didn't earn it. It's impossible to earn it. Gratitude underlines that we've actually been humbled by the beauty and glory of God. We've been humbled by the riches of the gospel. Being a, a proud Christian or a grumbling Christian or a discontented Christian, it really makes no sense. It, it's actually an oxymoron. Our thankfulness is, is stirred up by looking back at what God has done on the cross through his son and looking forward to the rewards and the joy he's gonna give us forever. So here in the meantime, we have endless reasons to be thankful. No matter what's going on in our lives or what's going wrong, what's going right, we have endless reasons to be thankful for him. And this psalm doesn't really ask us to look around at the things we usually do. We should be thankful for our family and our job and our friends and our church. But this psalm is saying, look at God. Look at who he is. How can you not be thankful? How can you not feel delight that you get to know him? How can you not be grateful that he's given you the best thing he could give you himself? We were traitors, we were rebels, we were running the wrong direction and in his sheer grace, he pulled us back. He won us to himself. 
There's nothing to be proud about. There's everything to be thankful for. So what was the happiest day of your life? What was the day that gave you the deepest joy where you couldn't help but, but call your friends, call your family, tell somebody about what you, what you ate or what you did or, or if your football team won or not? Those things are, are all small reminders, small pointers to this bigger and better reality that we were made to know God. We were made to know our creator and even though in our sin, we've cut ourselves off, through Christ, we can come back. Through Christ, we can have the deepest, greatest pleasure that you can fathom. It's better than you can imagine. And so if you're not a Christian, this is what you need to believe. You need to repent and turn away from preferring other things over him and you need to come to him. And if you are a Christian, never forget this. Don't grow tired of it. Don't grow weary over thinking about singing and shouting and praising because of the gospel. It should never get old. And even when it does, because we're human, the spirit helps us, he fills us, and he stirs up that joy and thankfulness that he commands. And that's my prayer for you today, that God would do that in this church. Let's pray.